0: Good morning so several years ago I, I went through a crisis of faith and when I say crisis of faith I don't mean that I doubted the existence of God or the divinity of Jesus uh, we had a I had a pretty good track record with God so that wasn't really what was going on for me my crisis of faith had much more to do with my own spiritual health And I shared these things with my spiritual director at the time, Dwayne, and uh, he listened prayerfully, and then he gave me an assignment. He said, I want you to go through, read through the book of Exodus, and as you do, I want you to consider these three words, orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. I knew immediately that I had encountered these words before. They were used by Dr. Walter Brueggemann, probably the most notable And respected Old Testament scholar living today. Brueggemann used these words to describe the writing we find in the book of Psalms, but honestly it's all over our Bibles and all over our history as well. And these words have a lot to say to us about the journey of faith and our lives with God. Orientation. Orientation is a season in life in which everything just seems to make sense. This would be a season of well-being and gratitude for all the ways that we, we feel we have been consistently and constantly blessed. The world works the way we think it should work, the way we have been taught that it would work, the way it's supposed to work, and everything, it just makes life quite a bit easier. Quoting Brueggemann, Psalms of orientation in a variety of ways articulate the joy, delight, goodness, coherence, and reliability of God, God's creation, God's governing law. So Psalm 1, which we looked at a few weeks ago, is a psalm of orientation. It celebrates the basic belief that the righteous are blessed, they're like a tree planted by flowing water, streams of water, and the wicked are not blessed. They are like chaff that the wind will blow away. Disorientation. Disorientation then is a season in life when we feel nothing is going right, or at least in some area, nothing's going right. Things do not always work the way Psalm 1 says they do. Sometimes the wicked seem to prosper. Brueggemann says that these are anguished seasons of hurt, alienation, suffering, and death that may evoke rage, resentment, self pity, and hatred. Psalm 13 is a psalm of disorientation, where its author David laments how badly things are going and it just seems that God is not present, or at the very least, God is not listening or God is not answering. The first four verses of Psalm 13 read, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. It is accurate to say though not to this degree, that when I was going through my own season, my own crisis of faith a few years ago, I was in a season of disorientation. And apparently I was not too much fun in the office either. A few weeks into this crisis, I was getting ready to go on vacation, and Pastor Bo, who is our worship pastor at the time, pulled me in his office, shut the door, and I quote, he said to me, you need to go away on vacation and come back better. This whole office is in a state of malaise, and it's because of you. I do not have the power to fire him. I'm just trying. All of us will go through seasons of disorientation if we're paying attention and if we're honest with ourselves. These seasons are not necessarily bad places to be and can, in fact, be, come for us a place of spiritual growth, healing, and even greater blessings than we've known before reorientation. Reorientation is a season of life when we emerge from our disorientation and we realize that God has actually brought us to a better place where we can celebrate and give thanks to him. It may not be that our actual physical situation has changed at all, but we have changed. We have changed. These, Brueggemann says, are seasons of surprise when we are overwhelmed with the new gifts of God, when joy breaks through despair, Where there has been only darkness, there is light. This is one of the reasons that you and I will sometimes meet people who are going through very difficult, dark, and painful times, but they still have this incredible trust in God. They still carry with them a very palpable sense of joy. Maybe some of us can name people like that in our lives even now. I know I can. Psalm 27, our passage for this morning, and our launching point, if you recall, for this whole series is a psalm of reorientation. Now I want you to hear once again the opening six verses before we jump into the last part of the psalm together. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. That's Psalm 23. It's just stuck in my head. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. This is the voice of someone who has been in a season of disorientation and is now emerging from it and sees things differently. They're able to rise above it and enter into a season of reorientation. Even in the day of trouble, God will be with me. God will help me. But then the psalms shift in tone. In verses 7 through 12, there is this lament. There is a sense that God is not responding as the psalmist might have hoped. And this makes the psalm a little difficult to fully fit neatly into this category of a psalm of reorientation after celebrating the victory in verse 6 and promising to sacrifice with shouts of joy and to sing and make music to the Lord David continues hear my voice when I call Lord come on there we go hear my voice when I call Lord be merciful to me and answer me my heart says to you seek his face your face Lord I will seek Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. This is not behaving me. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. Or false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. You can almost hear almost all three of these seasons at play in this psalm. Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Verses 7 through 12 sound a bit more anxious and uncertain of God's intentions than did the first six verses. The other contribution that Walter Brueggemann makes to this conversation about these three types of psalms is that there are always... Two movements going on in the journey of life and life and the life of faith from orientation to disorientation and from disorientation to reorientation. Always happening in our lives. The question I want us to look at this morning is what does it mean to seek God's face in these seasons and these movements? Since we began the series, we've used Psalm 27, verse 4 as our launching pad to explore the three verbs that define this one thing that the psalmist is asking for. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his lives, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. To dwell, to gaze, and to seek. This week, we begin to move into the final movement of this series about what it means to seek God. And we don't have to go any further than the last half of Psalm 27 in order to do so. First, David cries out to hear God's voice when he calls in verse seven, and then in verse eight, he says this. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. To seek God in his temple is to seek God's face, but what does it mean to seek the face of God? In Exodus 33, verse 20, Moses asked God to show him his glory. God replies that he will let him see his goodness pass in front of him but you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And then over in the gospel of John chapter 1 verse 18 we are told that before Jesus no one had ever seen God. However several people in the Old Testament had Old Testament had seen God. At least something of God. Including Moses, Abraham, Isaiah, and Ezekiel. But they did not see God's face. Here, however, David says he tells his heart to seek God's face or his heart tells him to seek God's face and there are other places in scripture where we are told by God to seek his face. The face of God is a metaphor for the presence of God. To seek God's face then is to turn toward God to become aware of God's presence after we have been turned away if we have been distracted. It is a move toward God It is a move to develop an intimate relationship with God. It is to pay close attention to God when other voices around us are very loud and distracting. To seek God's face. But this does not mean that to seek God's face is to say only good things to God in prayer. Or to only praise and to thank God. For the Psalms are full of examples of intimacy with God that are not all positive and warm and fuzzy. Again, Psalm 13 is full of negative and complaining language. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? Yes, that is a lament. That is complaining. That is negative. But it is also very intimate. It is the kind of relationship where you can say anything you need to say to God and it will be okay. It is good and right, of course, when things are going well for us to thank and praise God and to seek God's face. And it is also good and right when things are not going well to complain to God, to be critical of God, to lament to God, to say and express whatever we need to say to God. And I'm guessing there is at least one psalm and probably many more for every emotion you and I can feel. And that is to say that nothing is out of bounds when it comes to what we can and cannot say to God. God has an open door policy and he welcomes us with all of our pain and all of our negativity. His grace is sufficient for that. When Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it seems that those first disciples and many of the people who were following and celebrating with Jesus, they are in a place of orientation. Everything is right with the world. This is surely what God has planned all along. Jesus would enter Jerusalem, take his throne, and reign as the Messiah, the King of the Jews. Deliverance has come. But by the end of the week, things had moved decidedly into a season of disorientation. Jesus was betrayed, arrested, tried, and crucified. And then on Good Friday, while he is dying on the cross, he made his disorientation known in very direct lament to God. Mark 15, verses 33 and 34. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, and at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting from Psalm 22. He's quoting from Psalm 22, a psalm of disorientation. Even Jesus, the Son of God, experiences disorientation. Now, Jesus' cry does not mean that God had forsaken or abandoned him, but it does mean that it felt that way. His disorientation was real, and his cry was honest and intimate. For the disciples, the season of disorientation only deepened when Jesus' body was taken down from the cross and laid in the tomb. Everything they had hoped for has been brought to nothing. You can hear this in Luke chapter 22 when the risen Jesus encounters the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. When he asks them what they are talking about, they don't realize who he is. And so they speak about Jesus and his death, and then they add, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped he was the one. Their orientation about Jesus was one thing, but when it didn't happen, as they had been taught, as they believed it should happen, they found themselves in a very deep disorientation. Reorientation, of course, happens with the resurrection when Jesus is raised from the dead on Easter Sunday. But even then, things are not completely right with the world. The followers of Jesus will and still are persecuted. But now they will do so with a newfound confidence that Jesus has, in fact, risen and that he is with them. And later, God will take this even further when he sends the Holy Spirit to live within them and to empower them. So where are you today? Are you in a season of orientation where all is right with the world? Good. Pray for the rest of us. Or are you in a season of disorientation? Is there some area of life in which you doubt God's overriding governance for good? Or whether God is even listening to you? If you're not there right now, at some point in time, you will find yourself there. The goal, the the hope, is that regardless of the state of our disorientation, we will eventually find our way toward reorientation. We don't have to stay there, at least not in terms of our disposition and our spiritual inclination. We can have hope and joy in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our pain and difficulty. The move from orientation to disorientation and the move from disorientation to reorientation are both sacred, necessary moves. They are both essential to the life of faith, at least as it's it's going to be lived out this side of the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth. And both moves can cause us to grow. Or perhaps you are in a place of reorientation, a new orientation, a way of seeing the world and God's work in it. This place of reorientation is, as Brueggemann describes it, A new life that includes a rush of positive responses like delight, amazement, wonder, awe, gratitude, and thanksgiving. And speaking from personal experience, an unexplainable joy. And again, if this is where you are, good. Pray for the rest of us. One other important reality about these things is that they are cyclical. For every place of reorientation in which we land, we will likely hit another place of disorientation at some other time or in some other area of life. And as we seek the face of God, we can be led into yet another season of reorientation. The psalmist says in Psalm 27, verse 4, that one thing he asks of the Lord is not only to dwell in the Lord's house, not only to gaze upon the Lord's beauty, but to seek Him in His temple, to pursue Him, to seek His face. Friends, we seek God in His temple by being honest about the season we are in. We seek God in His temple by being honest about the season we're in and by bringing our emotions, both positive and negative, to God in prayer, in lament, in complaint, in thanksgiving, and in celebration. Trevor Hudson, I've actually linked a talk by him in the Bible app live event. Trevor Hudson says, we pray our pain. We put words to it. and We bring it to Christ. Each week, our Director of Worship and Music, Megan, and I, we meet and we talk through the themes for worship. We try to do this about a week and a half in advance of each, each service. And ten days ago, we met to talk about this morning's passage and the themes, and I shared with her the things that I've shared with you about these seasons of orientation, disorientation, and so forth, and these moves between each of these seasons. And Megan had shared with me before about a season of her own life that fit quite well into this category of disorientation. It was difficult, and it was a painful time. And I knew from previous conversations that the Psalms were very important to her, and in particular, Psalm 27. When I asked her what made the Psalms so important, she responded that they were so real, so authentic, and so honest. They gave words to what she wanted to express to God, and they showed her that it was good and right to express these things to God honestly. And then as we're talking, a question popped into my head. And I really think it was the Holy Spirit guiding this process. So I just asked her, I said, when you were in that place of disorientation, was there a song that meant something to you that really helped you at that time? She said, yes, there was one song. There were others, but there's one that came to mind for her. So I've asked her to share this song with us this morning. And she's graciously agreed to do so. Before she does... Let me just add one more important observation about Psalm 27. Psalm 27 does not end with a complaint. It ends by looking forward to a reason to praise God. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. That word translated as wait on the Lord could also be translated as hope. We can hope in the Lord. We can take heart because we can be confident that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And by the land of the living it does not mean heaven. He means the place now where life is good. Likewise, Megan took note of this in her experience of the Psalms too. They may be full, the Psalms may be full of complaint and lament and honesty but most of them, if not all of them, I haven't actually checked Most of them end in a place of praise for what God will do and in confidence of God's goodness. This is true of Psalm 13 that we looked at earlier, and it is true of Psalm 22 that Jesus quoted from the cross when he cried out to God. You may not realize it, but every year in the season of Lent, we have a practice here, and other churches and traditions uh, do as well. And that is a choice during the season of Lent leading up to Easter that we do not sing Alleluia's. It's not a commandment, it's not a restriction, it's a choice. It's simply a way for us to better enjoy all the hallelujahs we get to sing on Easter Sunday. We are breaking with that tradition this morning. Because sometimes it's just important to sing hallelujahs. The song that Megan and the band are going to lead us in will do that. It will do it as a way to celebrate the reality of the hope that we have in God who can meet us wherever we are, and can take us to a place of reorientation. So before Megan sings, we're going to allow a little bit uh, longer intro to the song as a place of silent prayer. Place for you to reflect. Is there a place in your life where you are currently in a season of disorientation? Name it, bring it to God, and then we'll remain seated as we are led in this song, as Megan sings. For so this is what it means to seek God in His temple, to seek God's face. We cry out to God openly, honestly, authentically. We lament, we complain when necessary, and we put our hope in God and we wait on God. So as we're sitting in this place, prayerfully listening to this song, after you get to know it, if you want to sing it as a part of your own prayer, please do that. The words will be projected. And at that time, I want us to start out seated and, and receptive. But at that time, if you want to stand or kneel, or come down front and ask for prayer, do whatever you want to do, I invite you to do that.